So we're in this little series. We started last week talking about the start of 2021 and what it might mean to have a rule of life together. And we weren't talking about this kind of like, how can you be more religious in 2021? How can you impress God with your incredible way of uh, doing more stuff? But we were trying to think about what does it mean to have like a, a foundation? What does it mean to have a lattice work um, a, in place so that whether like 2021 turns out to be the best year that the humans have ever experienced ever, or whether it turns out to be a little bit more difficult than that, that we have the kind of things in the heart of our lives, in every area of our lives to make our Christian faith uh, flourish. And I think we talked about last week, the fact that for many of us in 2020, we realized that the foundations, the stuff that we put into our Christian lives was not enough or the right kind of foundations, that, that we were unprepared for the, the amount of storm that came into our world last year. And that if we want to thrive in our Christian life, we need things like right in the heart of who we are to help provide a foundation for Christian flourishing. And so last week, we kind of introduced a four-part four rule of life to you. We talked about prayer and worship. We talked about work and activity. We talked about rest. And we talked about um, relationships. And really what I was trying to get at is the kind of connectivity of the different parts of our lives. You know, sometimes we say, well, this is our spiritual life and this is our other rest of our lives. But I was trying to get us to think about the fact that if we want to thrive in, for example, our prayer life, which is what we're talking about today, then we actually have to thrive in our work life and in our resting life. If we want to thrive in our relationships, we have to thrive in our prayer life. That there is this great sense of connectivity because God doesn't just care about part of who we are. God cares about this whole human, emotional, physical, spiritual story that's all weaved in um, together. Um, and so we're going to think a little bit today about what it might mean to be a people who pray well. Um, and I'm, when I say prayer, I, I'm not specifically talking about, you know, that lovely picture of a little child next to their bed with their hands together and their eyes closed and those few little sentences. I'm talking about the sense that God invites us to walk alongside him in every sphere, every moment of our life, that God cares about our emotions, he cares about our bodies, he cares about the whole thing, and his desire is to be next to us on every instance of the journey. When we're together in big groups, when we're alone in our rooms, when we're standing in the line at Trader Joe's or whatever it might be, that God is with us, that he wants us to have this ongoing conversation in every space of our lives where we get to connect our hearts and our plans and our emotions with God's heart and plans and emotions for um, our lives. So last week, we, we kind of introduced this guy called Daniel. Uh, Daniel was a young Jewish guy taken away to be in captivity in Babylon, uh, thrives, grows to become this real man of God who is a politician and an advisor within various different governments and just is an incredibly faithful, faith-filled, uh, thriving human being. And uh, we're going to pick up the little story today, um, actually quite a long way into Daniel's life. He was a young man then, definitely not a young man by the time we pick up today's reading. He served under three different kings and he here he is under the third king, um, and we're going to think a bit about how he, his rule of life in the area of prayer really provides a foundation for flourishing. So let's get our reading from Mr. Matt Lowe. Hey everyone, the reading from today is from Daniel chapter 6, the whole chapter. Here we go. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss, 
Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it can be, cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. <laughs> Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence for the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. 
His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good reading. There's a lot of love on the online chat for Matt Lowe's sweater, and, but disappointing that he didn't wrap it. So I think a little, little bit of a round of applause for Matt Lowe's reading, though. Maybe that guy should be some sort of TV actor or something, you know, just, just hypothetically um, speaking. So as trouble comes into Daniel's life, uh, what we find is he prays. So Daniel has lived this incredibly faithful, faith-filled life, righteous life. He's lived just truthfully and honestly and lovingly and well. So much so that the, the political opponents that Daniel has can do nothing to get at him. They have no angle to which to get rid of him. So the only thing they can do is to invent this really dubious law, which is that if anybody prays to a God who is not the king, they should be thrown into the lion's den. And as Daniel hears the news, we find him praying. We find him quietly, gently, humbly on his own in space, in time, seeking out God's voice and person. Um, so a little question for you, you can answer online or in person. Um, who finds prayer really easy? Now, I'm sure somebody does. <laughs> it's like... Okay, just so you know online, I don't think that there's a hand up in here. Uh, now, prayer can be, I was kind of expecting that prayer might be a little bit hard for us. Is prayer can be difficult for a few reasons. Prayer can be difficult because we actually have to find the space and time to pray. But prayer can also be difficult because the idea of communicating with some heavenly being who we can't see is very difficult for some people. And so we're going to think this morning a little bit about a way that we might introduce prayer into our rule of life. Now, there's loads of great models for prayer out there. Um, some of you might have grown up with this one, TSP. Anyone grow up with TSP? No, nope. thank you, sorry, please. Uh, someone may have grown up with ACTS, you know that one? Yeah, some people know that one. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I mean, what on earth is supplication? Uh, so I guess it fits into S is what it is. Uh, today we're going to think about a model of prayer which is, comes from the 24-7 guys, some friends of ours at Vintage, uh, P-R-A-Y. We, we introduced it last year at Vintage, uh, and I'm not saying it's better than any of the other models, but it fits kind of really nicely with what we um, are looking at this morning. And so I'm just going to take us through that. And just as a reminder, as we talk about rule of life, just to introduce it to you, to remind you, what I'm trying to get you to think about is not how can you take on 50 new things this year. You know, like when you get to New Year's resolutions, it's like, I'm going to change everything. And then like three days later, you realize you have changed nothing. Like we're not talking about that. What I'm just trying to get you to think of is like, hey, God, Holy Spirit, what is, what is maybe one thing or two things that you might like me to do a bit differently in 2021 than I did in 2020? Small, simple, uh, but repeatable. That's what we're going for. So P-R-A-Y. So pause. P for pause. So the first thing that if we're going to talk about prayer and our rule of life, we really need to get some sort of grasp of is the idea of stopping. They're finding that emotional, physical, spiritual space to be still before God. Uh, Pete Gregg, our great friend, he says this, the human soul is wild and it's shy. 
The psalmist compares it to a deer panting for streams of water. Celtic folklore depicts it as a stag, noble and coy. It hides away from the noise of life, refusing to come out on command like some domesticated pet. But when we are still, it emerges inquisitive and quaveringly alive. The psalmist says this, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. That little phrase, be still, it comes, the the word is to vacate, to step outside and to be with God. I don't know how easy you find it to step outside of the noise of the world. I know in COVID in January 2021, it feels a bit different. But the truth is we live in a very noisy world. We live in one of the noisiest, most bustling cities on the planet. Uh, And to be honest, in my life, it's not even just the, the noise of traffic and all the things, which is a bit quieter right now. It's the fact that I live in this virtual digital space, which is so noisy, right? You know, do you remember the days when you used to stand in a line in a grocery store. Just that, really. But do you remember the days when you stood in a line in a grocery store and you didn't have a phone to pull out of your pocket and immediately get onto and fill your void, to fill the, the moment with all this kind of different kind of noise? Remember those spaces when you could actually be bored in the world because there was nothing to do? Now, of course, if you have any empty space in the world, you just fill it with more noise. Like there are people out there who are vying, all the algorithms are vying for your attention. Like you are monetized and if people can grab your attention and keep you occupied and keep you in front of a screen all the time, then they have won. And so actually what we need to know about prayer first up is if you want to learn to pray, you actually have to learn to stop. Maybe even to stop praying actually for some of us. We have to learn to recenter our scattered senses on the presence of God, to find a way of tuning ourselves out of the noise and the, voc- the, the vocal aggression or salesmanship or whatever it is out there, and to find ourselves in the still, small voice of God to turn down the anxiety and the fear and the pressure that we feel all the time and to find ourselves in the presence of God. And that is really hard, right? It is a really hard thing to do. And if it feels like a spiritual battle, it is a spiritual battle because there's nothing that the enemy would want more than you actually spending time with your heavenly father in communion with him. He would love to distract you and persuade you not to do um, that. So a few thoughts on how you might want to do that. The first is, and I mentioned this last week, Sabbath. Right? Maybe the most underplayed spiritual discipline in the world right now. You know, there used to be these moments, so they tell me, when we would stop on a Sunday, we'd go to church, and then we'd go out and hang at home with our families, or we'd read a book, or we'd go for a walk, and we'd eat great food, and we wouldn't work. Of course, now we're bombarded on Sundays, or whatever day your Sabbath is. So when your rule of life, maybe you might want to think about what would it look like to take that one day a week to do something different? to find the stillness, to put the phone away for a few hours, to turn off the TV, like whatever it is that you need to do to spend 
time with uh, God. But also in, in the day-to-day, right? You know, how do we find the moments of stillness in the day-to-day? Well, here's some things that Daniel has to say about how we do it. So Daniel 6.10 said, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three, di- three times a day, he got down on his hands and knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So how do you do prayer in the rule of life? Number one, you gotta find the right time to pray. Daniel prayed morning, he prayed noon, and he prayed evening. Three times every single day. The guy was a senior politician, he was a very busy guy, but three times a day he just stepped out of it to go and pray for a short period of time. Now, that might feel doable for you. That might feel a little bit too far to start with. But what is the time of day when you find you can find stillness to come before God? Uh, Jesus loved to get up really early in the morning. Some of the great heroes of faith loved getting up really early in the morning. Um, I am not at the best place of stillness at six o'clock in the morning. I'm just being honest. I do do my little uh, Bible app prayer thing at six in the morning. But the truth is, actually, I'm a morning person, which means that when the day starts, my brain is going. It's like it's going hard and fast at all the things I need to do, which means trying to stop and find that moment of stillness at 6 a.m., actually not very easy. Um, I find it much easier to meet with God late in the evening, to go and be in his presence uh, in the stillness once some of the noise of the day has been. So what, what's the moment? Where is the gap? Where is the space in your day when you might spend some time with uh, God? Second thing is, where's the bright place to spend time? You notice where Daniel goes. He says he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And uh, that was a little room in his house, very high up, away from his family, away from anyone else who lived in his, his house, where he could be still in the quiet. Where is the moment where you find it easiest to connect with uh, God? Now, you might not have the luxury of a whole extra room in your house. You live in LA, so probably you don't have the luxury of an extra room in your house. Um, but I've got some friends, and they have just taken a corner of a room, or a, literally a seat, which is in that seat, they spend time with God. They are away from the noise of the world. Like for me, I'm terrible at sitting still. I'm terrible at being like on my, like just in a confined space. So I just love to go for a walk. I'll just go and walk the streets. If you live near me, you're very likely to hear me <laughs> in an evening talking away to God or talking away to myself. I think my neighbors must think I'm completely crazy probably, but that's okay. They haven't arrested me yet, so it's okay. So what, what is that space? And, and in, this pla- in the space, thinking about that virtual thing, um, here's a little tip which is very hard. What about not turning on your phone until you've spent some time with God, right? You know, in the morning, you wake up, I'm gonna spend some time with Jesus, Turn on the phone, emails come up, angry email number one, you know, issue to deal with number two, whatever it might be. What happens? Time with God, completely shot through, right? Because your brain is immediately in a different space. So what would it look like to step away, to vacate that space, to be with God? And then the third thing is, what about finding the right method and model to pray? Um, There are loads of different models for prayer. Some of us will be very happy to just sit in silence for a few minutes. Uh, I don't find that easy, to be honest. I tried it actually as in it, the other day when I was sitting in my office for two minutes and, and my brain was not all over the place and my phone started buzzing and it was just noise everywhere. It was really difficult. So um, I've started using this thing, which I mentioned last week, Lexio 365 little app. It's free. A whole bunch of you told me to do it, so I did it. Um, 
it's just a beautiful little reflection on P-R-A-Y every single day. Different people around the world um, do it. You just listen to it with some beautiful music. It's a beautiful way to have some stillness. Um, there's, if you want to read a great book, How to Pray uh, by Pete Gregg, there is, um, you know, big models in there about cellar, centering prayer, um, reading Psalms, all sorts of different things. But the point is to just get out of the noise, to find some stillness away from it. So we pause. Um, the next thing is uh, in R, R for rejoice. And the second place where we can find that stillness away from the anxiety and the noise and the fear and all of those things is actually to be people who know what it is to give thanks, who know what it is to rejoice. Now, we'll talk more next week because we're going to talk about worship next week. Um, but do you notice what Daniel does? In the midst of all of the rubbish, in the midst of being his life being in danger, it says this, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. You know, so often we take thankfulness as the appropriate response to something good happening, right? Christmas just happened in my house. Money arrived from distant places and distant relatives into bank accounts, and the obligatory phone calls were made over Christmas. Thank you so much for the money, and we hope you're well. And that was what we needed to do. But thankfulness, Daniel reminds us, is not just when something good happens in our lives that's abnormal but it's actually to have a posture of giving thanks in every moment. Daniel, when his life is under threat, does exactly what he's always done before, which is to be a person of rejoicing. If you read the Lord's Prayer, it starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It is a culture, on this posture of thankfulness. If you want to have a posture of prayer, you've got to have a posture which says God is good. Now, not just God has done good things, but actually God is categorically, fantastically good in his nature. Now, we don't all believe that because I think some of us see God as a bit of a nasty, horrible old figure up there who doesn't seem to be delivering to us the things that we think we need right now. But the Bible reminds us that God has done and is a wonderful God, that God saves us. He forgives us. He offers us his presence in our lives, that God is inherently good. But of course, also, God has done good things. I promise you, whoever you are, online or in person, God has done good things in your life before. So much of the Bible was written to remind God's people, primarily, of the good things that God has done in the past. You know, like it, you know, in the New Testament letters, it's like, you may be suffering right now, you may be in jail right now, but do you remember what Jesus came and did for you? Or you may be like in exile away from Jerusalem right now, but do you remember that God took you out of slavery and captivity in Israel and through into the promised land? You know, we remind ourselves of the good things God has done before. When we, when we do that, when we shift our hearts into rejoicing and thankfulness, actually it really changes us. It changes me. It changes me from being someone who is endlessly like negative and wanting to get the next thing to realizing that God has done some good things um, before. So I wonder what it would look like in your stories to take time just to give thanks really practically. Um, this last week, uh, Laura and I, uh, we, we were just had a few minutes together. And so we, we, I opened up my laptop, I don't even know why, and opened up the Photos app and hit play on a slideshow of every photo from 2020. Don't know if you've ever tried to do that before. Um, Apple help you with that one, I'm sure. I'm sure Microsoft do as well if you want to do that. Um, but as we did it, we just watched these hundreds of photos flick through, and we were so overwhelmed with thankfulness. 
Now, my memory of 2020 was, oh my goodness, how did we get through it? But when I looked back, I looked at the things that God had done. I looked at the places where we'd been. I looked at the story of vintage. And I was just overwhelmed at the good things that God has done. So what would it look like for you to be people who remind yourself of who God is and his goodness? Um, if you can't think genuinely of anything good in your own life, maybe, maybe pray a psalm. Maybe find some liturgy. Maybe even just take a prayer journal out and start to write down the things that God has done as you pray for them so that you can go back later and go, oh yeah, God did do something in that situation. So how are we going to be people who rejoice? And what we find is as we rejoice, as we come before God in thanksgiving, that our own anxieties, our own fears actually start to quieten down because we find ourselves knowing about a good, kind God. So we pause, we rejoice. Um, third up, oh, I'm just gonna check the live chat, see if there's anything on here. Good morning, Marie. Nice to see you. Good morning, Mr. Vorilic. Nice to see you. Um, <laughs> the third thing is we ask. So uh, we're now 50% of the way through our prayer life, and we're now arriving at the place where almost all of us start our prayer lives. Right? Uh, in our family, we have this thing every morning where we have breakfast together because of COVID. One of the blessings is we can all have breakfast together and we do this little daily devotional with our two kids. And at the end of it, we take it in turns to pray for each other. And uh, we go around and one person will pray for everyone else. Now, because we've modeled press so badly to our children or they've picked it up from us, um, the way it goes is always the same. Hey, Daddy, what can I pray for? Mommy, what can we pray for? William, what can we pray for? Chloe, what can we pray for? And of course, the answers are, Daddy's got to write a talk today. He's got to meet with some people. Mommy's got to get through homeschooling. Kids have got to do their work. You know, whatever it would be, it just becomes this immediate list of things to pray for, the shopping list kind of prayer. Notice where where asking comes from. Actually, it comes far down the list in our prayer life. But it does come. If you notice Daniel again, verse 11, these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Like the Lord's prayer does start with adoration. It does. It does finish with adoration. But in the middle of the Lord's prayer, actually, it's a shopping list. God, would you give us today our daily bread? Will you forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us? It goes through the things that we need. You could think, can you? It's like if God is so good, if God is so kind, if God is so faithful, if God just knows what we need, we shouldn't need to pray for anything, right? Let's not even bother to pray. But the amazing thing, in this, if you read through, is that God chooses to partner with us in prayer. Like God could do anything. God is perfectly capable of acting on his own without us. But amazingly, we are invited into the story of seeing lives transformed. You know, yes, when I worship, I feel like I need to pray more, less for my own needs, but I am still invited all the time to pray for you. I am still invited all the time to pray for the world around me. I'm still invited all the time to ask for God's kingdom to come in the world. In fact, because God chooses to partner with me to be an agent of transformation. And the primary way that I get to be an agent of transformation in the world is not by being really anxious and really stressed out and working really hard. It's actually by being a person of prayer. Amen. Like that's how we get to see God's kingdom come in the world primarily. In fact, if you look at the book of James, James 4, 2 and 3 says, actually, you don't have what you want because you didn't ask God for it. It's okay to ask God for things. Know that. It's actually okay, I believe, to ask God for parking spaces. Discuss. 
discuss, take some time out. Do you think it's okay to pray for us? I think it's okay to ask God for parking spaces because if we don't ask God for parking spaces, we probably aren't going to ask God to cure the cancer in our neighbor, right? We have to ask God for things small and big because God wants to partner with us in all the different things. And here's the difficult thing, right? Sometimes we'll get it. Sometimes we'll get it right there in the moment. Our prayer guys who are over there, they will tell you about some amazing answers to prayer. Our community group leaders regularly email me and tell me about the answers to prayer that they have seen in their community groups this year, about finances being provided, about healings that have happened, about guidance, about jobs, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we'll get it and sometimes we won't. And sometimes we won't get it. We won't get it immediately. Sometimes we won't even get it in our lifetime. We won't get it. And that can be really hard. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But it's so important that we do remind ourselves of what God has done and continue to ask. You know, that's why I mentioned the prayer journal. Because I realize in my life, I pray for stuff all the time. And most of the time, I forget what I've prayed. It's done. I've moved on. Like I'm already thinking about the next need before I've even remembered if the previous need has been answered. So maybe in your rule of life this year, you might again think about the idea of the prayer journal. Like even just to write down, today I am praying for provision in this area or I'm praying for this person. Because then when you go back in a week's time, I bet you, I just bet you that 90 plus percent of the prayers that you ever prayed just got answered. We're just done. And you'd forgotten about them before you'd even thought about it. That way you can remind yourself that God is actually asking, he's actually doing something all the time. And maybe you can have a list of people to pray for on your phone. And I do periodically just have a little list on my phone. Hey, I'm praying for this person, for this situation, for these, uh, these things to change and just to do it in that way. So, so we pause, we rejoice, we ask. And then finally, and if pausing isn't the most difficult one, I think this one might be definitely the most um, difficult one, yield to yield to God's will and sovereignty in our life. Okay, little, little joke that someone might have told you at Christmas. Feel free to laugh at the appropriate moment, okay? What's the difference between you and God? Anyone? Silence. God doesn't think that he's you. Not one person laughed, like no one. Thank you at home in faith for laughing uncontrollably about my very funny joke. I don't know about you, but I think all the time that I know what God should do, right? I am convinced that I know most of the time the things that God should be doing around the world. I have a complete picture of the world. I watch news. I listen to social media. I'm very clever. I know exactly what God is supposed to do. And yet God seems so often to have different plans to me. I wonder why, right? I wonder why. You know, scientists tell us that in any given moment, you and I, we can uh, process 120 bits of information, which means right now I can process the fact that it's just slightly cloudy here in Southern California, which seems rude. It's supposed to be sunny here all the time. Uh, I can process the fact that there's people sitting in front of me in masks, just looking wrapped with their attention. They're all just gripped by this amazing sermon. Uh, I can tell the fact there's a camera here and two over there. That's about all I got right now. That's about all I can process. Um, I can't process all the other billions of bits of information that are going on all around me. I just can't do it. My brain can't handle it. And it's the same for you, which means that I don't have a complete picture. And I certainly don't have a complete picture of the world, let alone the past and the future and all the other things that are going on. There's only one entity that has that picture and it isn't Google. It's God. 
God has that different perspective than what we have. If you go back into the book of Daniel, um, I love Daniel. Um, if you know from Daniel 3, there's this other story about um, burning furnaces, right? So Daniel has three mates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those dudes? Um, King Nebuchadnezzar says, there's a big statue. I want you to bow down in front of the big statue and praise and worship the big statue. And they go, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Um, and then if you, uh, you get it, from here, Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, Kim Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. And here's the good bit, right? And even if he does not, we will not bow down to you. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if... God does not do the very thing that we want him to do. We will not worship you. You know, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He knows the cross is just around the corner. He knows the full horror and pain and spiritual trauma that he's about to go through. He's sweating blood because he just knows how bad it's going to be. And yet he, ooh, I think God just arrived. No, not really. <laughs> or a peacock arrived uh, <laughs> on the roof. And Jesus cries out, take it away. I don't want to do this thing. I'm not up for it. But he says, your will be done and not my will. The hardest thing when we think about a Christian life is recognizing that sometimes we will just not get the very thing that we think we want. You know, if we look out at COVID, it's like how many times have we prayed, God, would you just take COVID away? It's not a good thing. We don't need it. Take it away. Or we prayed for, you know, somebody to get healed or we've prayed, you know, for salvation for somebody or someone to fall in love with Jesus and it hasn't happened yet. And we get to that place and we just think, God, you don't seem to know what you're doing. Therefore, I'm giving up on prayer. And yet the final part of the Lord's Prayer is where we yield and we say, God, you have control, that you are in charge. Like the world today might not look like I think it should look. This may not look on the news like I think it should look. This may not feel like in my finances how it should look. This may not feel like the relationships that I want to be in right now, or this isn't working out with this person like I want it to work out, or this healing isn't happening, or whatever it might be. And yet the invitation of us is to say, hey, what? Hey, God, you are God. Jesus tells this story, you know, there are these birds in the field and God chooses to look after the birds in the field. So how much more will he look after his real children on earth? God promises to be with you. As we pause, as we rejoice, as we ask and as we yield, and not just in like maybe the quiet times, but in the way to the supermarket, on, you know, the way to our first Zoom meeting of the day, to take those moments to be in God's presence. His promise to us is that he will be with us and he will speak to us and he will change us and he will take away some of that anxiety and fear and allow us to know him better. And so I just wanted to finish with this just little little picture. Um, I, uh, when Laura and I were, we were first dating, you know, there's, there's exciting moments. Like I was still at university, Laura had graduated already and she was living in another city a couple of hours away. And so we used to go for these kind of dates where we'd meet up halfway. And because it was kind of new and exciting, you know, you, you have dinner together and you don't want there to be any silence because that would be bad. So you, you have all this conversation going and it's really exciting. You don't want any awkward bits. And to be honest, we'd not seen each other for a while normally. So there would always be things to talk about. But I remember sitting in this restaurant one evening and looking over at this older couple, this retired couple on the next table. And, and they sat there for the hour and a half that we were there in almost complete silence. 
And you know, I looked over and I thought, oh my goodness, how sad. They've run out of things to talk about in their married life. Isn't that awful? I hope that we will never get to the place where we have nothing to talk about when we go for dinner. Um, But they seem kind of happy about it, which I thought was very confusing at the time, very confusing. But as I, as I think about it now, Laura and I have been married 13 years now. As I look at it now, it's great being next to someone that you love in quiet. There are moments, I can tell you, Laura and I, we have lots to talk about. We've got to run a church and we've got to keep our family afloat and sort out stuff that's going on around us all the time. But you know what? I love just hanging out with her. I love just sitting on a couch watching some stupid bit of TV in the evening or just uh, doing something together, going for a walk as we, we did on Friday. I love that because actually I know she loves me and I love her and just being together matters. If you don't take anything else away from prayer, just know this, God loves you. He loves you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to be with you in every moment of the day. He's got stuff to tell you about of his great plans and stuff, but he also just wants to know how you are doing. He wants to know from your heart. He just wants to be with you. And so this year, would you commit to being with God, to pausing, to rejoicing, to asking to yield, but just to create those moments in your day to have dinner with Jesus? Is that okay? Is that right? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you want to hang out with us often a lot more than we want to hang out with you. 